Connor, you know how often we talk about serendipity, how a lot of discoveries are made just by chance? Yes. I think we have a bit of confirmation bias in this stuff because yeah, we like we the might. stories on that one. But yeah. yes, we could admit that a lot of discoveries are made by chance. That's true. And for 37 episodes, you're right, there is a bit of a confirmation bias. So we keep talking about how discoveries are accidental. Now, however, I have met somebody who works with Cytiva, and he says we can organize discoveries and hack serendipity. And I guess that's what matters on this episode of Discovery Matters. Most revolutionary dreams, they need an evolutionary step to make sense. This is Rene Bach. He helps people make discoveries. I'm partner at Implement Consulting Group in a very small, uh, sleepy surf town, also known as Cold Hawaii. So Cold Hawaii? Yeah, it's called Klitmele. I don't speak Danish very well, but that's the way I would pronounce that. And this used to be a fishing town that had really big waves on the ocean, so it attracted a lot of surfers. Oh, I get it. So cold Hawaii. Okay, makes sense. So it's not as hot as the real Hawaii. Have you been there, Connor? You're a surfer. I, I have not been there. Um... Put it on the I list. I don't think I have, I can be on the list. I don't think I have a thick enough wetsuit for uh, like the North <laughs> Sea. Come on. <laughs> Anyways, so from cold Hawaii, Renee told me that innovation does not just happen spontaneously. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, all fireworks. It can also just be structure and rigor. He has worked with innovation for 20 years. Most recently, he and his team are also helping Saitiva with an innovation project. If you kind of look into some of the biggest inventions, not only in recent times, but also probably if you go back in history, you know, you just start to discover that the rules that people have invented, those are the ones that set them free. Okay, so inventions are created only because there are rules, right? It feels like the opposite of the story we tell, where people should go and be free and be creative and not feel bound by the constraints, you know, laws of physics and realms of possibilities. Yeah, so what's going on here? Well, that's what I thought too. Actually, the, the, I think the world's best restaurant, the Noma, in Denmark has been created from a set of rules, almost like a, a dogma rules. Have you been to this restaurant, Noma? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, it's kind of been difficult to get anywhere in the last <laughs> few years. <laughs> so Fair I comment. haven't had a reservation. Fair I comment. mean, just getting into my local pizza joint is tough at the moment. Indeed. Uh, the founders of Noma wrote a manifesto without realizing that staying close to home would be so necessary for the past year and a half constraining them so much that they had to sort of reinvent the Nordic kitchen, the Nordic food, also called the Nordic food revolution. One of the rules was, as, as, as far as I remember that, you know, you can only have an ingredient on the plate that you can collect 100 kilometers away from the restaurant. That's a pretty uh, ins almost insane rule. But it constrains you in a way where you really need to sort of reinvent everything because you cannot just import a tomato from Italy. So you really have to think hard about what is it that we can get out of this. Okay, so I can see now how forcing people to think really hard about what they're doing and, and using in the kitchen could make them excel at the use of what they've got. I get that. That's right. 
you know, Renee's advice is also not just focus on what you're good at when you are innovating, but consider a problem from outside your comfort zone or your sphere of knowledge. Great innovators to start to think about what is it that I believe in that most people would disagree with. I need to think hard about what what is it that would actually create enough friction in the world to also create some traction and tension. Those are just observations when I look at sort of great innovators today. So it is not just about challenging yourself. For me, it's the intersection between being a surgeon and, and being an artist. Of course, you need to sort of master your craft, but you also need to accept that the, the artistic part uh, is a deep personal journey and it is a, a sort of a profound way of dealing with the fact that you don't know when a good idea will come to you. You need to sort of rely on, a little bit rely on, not necessarily rely on luck, there's a bit of that, but rely on that the timing might be uncontrollable. Uh, it sounds like he's going to say something like sort of a bit hi- hippie-ish, like innovation is a state of mind and here's a my surfboard. Bit, yeah, a little bit religious. But Renee says this process forces you to train your mind to just be sensitive to innovation. So when you see a change or a, a mistake, could that actually be something positive? Could it be an innovation? You know, those mistakes that you tend to say, okay, let's get rid of them and let's hide them and, you know, we are not repeating them or whatever it is. But being able to pay attention to those as um, a source for inspiration and new ideas. So, and again, it's back to the conscious level. If you can kind of create that that state of mind where, where that sensitivity is institutionalized, you know, in the individual and the organization, then you can actually then you can actually start to um, to turn those, you know, mistakes and learnings into something very valuable. I think people assume that innovation is like a firecracker, like, boom, there's a great idea. But sometimes just, uh, just changing a, a process, changing a step can be an innovation that makes a big difference. That kind of, you know, drop in the ocean with the ripple effect. Um, Renee actually defines this in as four levels of innovation. What's important is that you start to talk about innovation on different levels or different types of innovation. You can have operational innovation. That's what you're talking talking about, process improvements. You can have product and service innovation. This is where we normally would say, okay, this, this, this is what innovation is all about. Some people are also talking about business model innovation. This is where you also sometimes place strategy. Some people are talking about platform innovation. How can you actually create a platform or an ecosystem and start to connect partners and 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 whatnot? Okay, so you've got these different levels of innovation. I get it. And depending on where you put your focus, you can kind of increase your success rate of uh, changing things for the better and making new discoveries. Exactly. So let's get concrete here. Uh, we're going to give you a for instance. Saitiva has this innovation hub in Uppsala called Testa Center. It's co-funded by the Swedish government. And Testa Center is dedicated to helping life sciences companies improve their processes so they can scale up. So they get to come, they use a lab with bigger machines that they don't have room for in their research areas. That in itself is innovative. So the small innovations equal big wins. So this is difficult to convince the client that actually in Estonia also can make very good products. So who's this? 
This is Angela Vasa. She's the chief operating officer at a company called Solis Biodyne. So I assume they're based in Estonia? Well, like she said, uh uh-huh, they are. In February, when the COVID-19 arrived to Europe, we understood that we need to increase our, uh, our production capacity significantly. And when the pandemic hit, they pivoted their production to create these PCR and qPCR tests. I mean, everybody know how many how many PCR tests have you had by now, Connor? You've had yeah, I know it's several. getting a bit boring. I'm really good at it. I'm very good at <laughs> testing negative. Just letting people shove that Q-tip way up your nose. Mm. Anyway, so Solus Biodyne came to the Testa Center, an innovation hub, and they wanted to make this step after discovery, and that is scaling up. So trying bigger things that you can't do at home. At this enzyme, what we, what we are going to scale up here is one component, ribonuclease inhibitor, which is one component of COVID uh, mixes. So projects rotate in and out of Testa Center because at a university or in a small startup, maybe you can only do experiments with, say, a one liter bottle. At the Testa Center, you have a 50 liter tank. Yeah, we had a chance to use this 50-liter bioreactor here and we got a good result. We got a lot of our uh, protein and I think we, we're going to think about that maybe we need this kind of reactor at home also. And also in purification step, we got a lot of knowledge about using different media for, for different, uh, different purification steps. I think um, it will make our pro- production and purification a lot, lot more efficient. We can uh, release a lot of resources. So innovation here is not just about discovering new things. It's about creating the environment and the infrastructure where people can make those discoveries and then lift them up, scale them up and make them available to the world, right? Exactly, because you can have a great idea and you stay in your basement and it doesn't reach anybody or you can't make it, you know, scale to reach more and more people. So let's go back to Renee, Renee's four levels of innovation. The Testa Center that Angela used was a type of operational innovation. I feel like I'm teaching you now, Connor. Every day is a school day. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm on operational innovation. I'm exactly. holding it together. Mm-hmm. Then there was product and service innovation, business model innovation, platform innovation. So many words. So yeah. many words. There's one layer that can enable all four of these at once. And all of these types of innovation are real. But there's something that I think that we need to pay more attention to, and that is what you could call leadership innovation, which is kind of putting leadership at the focal point of innovation in itself. You start to sort of innovate how you lead. Or you start to innovate your future leadership model. And what is interesting about that level is that that actually enables the four other layers to innovate in a much, much more interesting way. Here's a warning sign. Renee has seen a lot of innovations killed by bad leadership. Times where leaders ask the wrong questions or haven't paid attention to what we said earlier, mistakes as a source of inspiration. Yeah, so a very good example of that would be, let's say I have a very good idea. You you tend to be a leader that I trust. And I go to you and uh, I present my idea in the most vulnerable way that I could do then you can kind of go about it in two ways. You can start to sort of ask for 
what kind of evidence do you have that can back it up or where is sort of the 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 solid business plan that will prove that uh, we'll get a sort of a gazillion customers from from your idea whatever it is can you show me can you show me some some data points that will prove that I need to invest in you that is that is judgmental and if I can answer those questions I will not present the idea to you next time and by that you will you will you will limit my creativity. Yeah, and and this makes total sense because the way that you like help people work through their problem is almost as important as them working through the problem itself, right? And leaders can be a bit difficult here because leaders by definition got to where they are by doing what they did. So doing what they did is what made them successful. So why would they do something different in the future, which just can be kind of a constraint on innovation. Utterly. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, as the saying goes. Exactly. So what would a good leader do? It might be that you don't like the idea, but you can say, interesting, what would have to be true for that idea to actually be an interesting idea for you? And I can share my personal perspectives also. And when you do that, you start to actually ask for experiments. And you also ask the person to go and experiment on behalf of me as a leader. So these are the assumptions I need to believe in as a leader to support your idea. Please go out and experiment. Please go out and show whether those assumptions uh, can be validated or not. That's a different leadership style. And it, 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 it accepts the fact that the idea is good until you have done an experiment that will either show it's good or bad. Renee talks about fostering a test and learn mindset from the start. I'm also seeing a lot of innovators that are not, you know, collapsing in that, but are actually truly curious about where can we take this idea if we focus on the right assumptions. The, the toughest part as an innovator is going from from zero customers to one customer. It's not going from one customer to a building customers. Okay, so this is where something like uh, the tester center comes in, right? And we're back there, exactly. So you can use the Testa Center when the discovery has already been made. You want to make your idea accessible to the world. So this is a really interesting way of framing things. The The biggest challenge is to go from no customers to one customer. Hugely. I like that. It's like convincing just one person. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like it's it's harder creatively maybe to go from your idea to a phase one clinical trial than it is to go from you know, a phase three, although it's still complex it's still and hard, operational yes. to, to approval. But how does Renee think about discoveries during this the pandemic year, right? Because lots of things have happened a lot faster. And were people being intentional in the way that he talks about? Renee says that a lot of the discoveries made during the year were not in spite of the world being in lockdown, but because we were in lockdown. So loving those guardrails again. When I started working with innovation 20 years ago, the main belief was that give people all the freedom they can imagine and then magic will happen. I remember these innovation labs where we painted them green and we had, we had, the, we had the coffee machine, we have everything sort of making that space look creative. And uh, the door was open and you can just go in and then suddenly some creative thought will pop up. Um, because you were given all the freedom in the world. And uh, and then we started to learn that most creativity will actually come from 
constraints, or you can also call them dogmas, that are either forced on you or, or done by design, by yourself, maybe. And I think what the, the past year has learned, that, learned us that those constraints, those uh, dogmatic limitations almost, they initiate an enormous source of creativity. So, like Noma, the restaurant he was talking about in the beginning, if you're constrained to only use certain ingredients or certain ways of thinking or certain sets of tools, um, this is kind of like Jugaad innovation that we see in India, right? Um, where people are constrained by their resources, so they have to find incredibly creative ways to, to resolve problems. Like, do you remember the little nano car where they solved... Uh, uh... I thought you were going to start to talk about clowns in a car, Connor. I don't know. No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> no, I don't it was... know. Nano car. Do you know what they did? They took, they took, you know, most cars have four wheel bolts and yeah. they needed to reduce costs and they realized if they just had three wheel bolts on the car, they could... They could uh, save, you know, save a quarter of the costs on wheel bolts. That's incredible. Um, but anyway, it's it's kind of like Jugard innovation, um, where the constraints that you live in and that you operate in in a in a low resource area mean that you have to be really creative about how you solve your problems. Um, so I like that you find new solutions. So when the when the world starts to open up again, hopefully soon. I think we should be aware of how can we put these constraints on ourselves to make sure that we feel limited enough to release energy, to be creative and break free. All right, so we've gone from, you know, serendipity that good ideas sometimes happen accidentally to now learning that if you have the right structure in your environment that you can turn a mistake into a good idea and an innovation. And so you can kind of structure your thinking and put, you know, process around the work that you do and the mistakes that you make so that you nurture the innovation rather than kind of hobbling it. Um, yeah, I really like that. I think that's maybe something that I feel we kind of do that naturally, but this is something that ought to give us a, a way of thinking about it, which could be really useful. Is this, did what Renee said, is it going to make you change any of the conversations that you're having, Connor? I think it probably, yeah, I think it might make me ask questions differently, right? right. Um, you know, it does remind me of um, Brian Eno's oblique strategies where, you know, you run into a problem and you set a constraint on the problem at random pulled from the deck of cards. And that kind of nudges you forward because you think about the issue in a different way. And I think, you know, that that's something that we could actually, you know, bring into our leadership and the conversations that we have with people um, as we're helping them uh, see through the difficulties or the issues or the problems that they're trying to solve. And the best thing we can do is try. Indeed, indeed. So thank you for listening to this episode of Discovery Matters. Give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And thank you. Our executive producer is Andrea Killen. Discovery Matters is produced in collaboration with Sound Telling. Production this time was by Tanvir Mansour. It is our last episode with Tanvir. Thank you very much for all your thank work you, over this uh, series. Our theme song was written by Thomas Henley and additional music is from Epidemic Sound. <laughs>